Good morning, church. So as you may have noticed, Kay is away. Kay and Charlene are off um, visiting their daughter, Jessie, at college in her freshman year. It's parents' weekend, so that is where they are. So keep them in your prayers. I think they're having a great time. And um, I am feeling a little under the weather, so I've told um, our interns that if I start a hacking cough, uh, that they will just come up and finish the sermon. So just if that happens, it's fine. It's all planned out. So I need your help to begin this sermon. I want us to collectively uh, write a script together. It's a script that most of us already have memorized. The script is called something like the heteronormative, patriarchal, traditional Christian American story that begins with the scene boy meets girl and ends with boy and girl get married and have SEX for the first time. Okay, so boy meets girl, go. What happens after that? There's something in between boy meets girl and they get married, I think. They go on a date. Who asks who, asks who to, out to the date? They, so the boy asks the girl out on the date, and then after the, after the date, they might have their first kiss. All right. Then what happens? Anything else? They have their first fight. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Yeah, they meet each other's parents. Anything else? They get engaged. How do they get engaged? The boy asks the girl for Is there anything that happens before that? The boy may ask the patriarchal father for permission to take his daughter's hand in marriage. Then they get engaged, and then they get married and all of this. Okay, so that's... That's one of our scripts, right, for coupling. Um, It's probably the only one you've ever heard uh, talked about in a church, except maybe an inclusive church in which the boy might meet boy and girl might meet girl. Um, But we don't often hear in church about the scripts that many of us actually lived or the scripts that most of our friends and our children and maybe even grandchildren are struggling to write today. Um, Scripts that might include Tinder and hookups and live-in boyfriends and polyamorous relationships and are you uncomfortable yet? So that's, (laughs) that is kind of what we were trying to get out a few weeks ago when our campus ministry lamp Um, with some leadership from our intern, uh, one of our interns, Cassie Hardman, when uh, we hosted a workshop entitled Beyond Consent, Embodying Sexually Healthy Relationships. Um, Probably, that probably includes a few words that you've never heard from the pulpit. And so at this workshop, we brought in a Christian sexual ethicist from Drew Theological School named Dr. Kate Ott, And Dr. Ott was talking to us about these different cultural scripts that we have of coupling, right? And Dr. Ott, then after going through a few of these scripts, she suggested an alternative script in which the people entering into a relationship, before they enter into a sexual encounter, they do this revolutionary thing. 
wonder if you can guess what it is. This revolutionary thing that they might do for it. Did you say they talk? Yes, they communicate. They communicate. Well done. So, so her suggested sexual ethic, spoiler alert, was presented as basically like a, just a lot of communication. Communication about the relationship and, and what the sexual stuff means to each person. Communication about interests and communication about desires. Communication about fears. Communication about questions. Communication about safety. Communication about contraception. Lots and lots of communication. Now, the one possible downside, Dr. Ott says, about her sexual ethic is that it maybe can perhaps seem to be a sexual ethic that is not very sexy. When was the last time you uh, saw a sexy scene in a movie or a TV show in which the people in their relationship or the encounter first sat down to talk with each other about the meaning of their relationship and their actions, safe sex, contraception, fears, and desires. Our society uh, kind of tells us that we're not supposed to talk about that kind of stuff. That too much communication ruins it. That too much talking takes the mystery and the magic out of the moment. And, and maybe that's true for some folks. But it's definitely true if you think of sexuality um, and sexual encounters with this metaphor that we tend to have in our culture, this baseball game metaphor, right? Um, with the bases and the scoring. That's kind of the metaphor that we tend to use, right? Now, if you know me at all, you know that I'm not much of a follower of the sports, but I, my understanding is that there is not a whole lot of communication in baseball between one team and the other team, right? There is a set script, and you move to score against your opponent or you strike out, but you're not communicating with the other team because in the metaphor, the person you're playing baseball with is on the opposing team. So communication is not really a value in that metaphor, in that way of thinking. There's this sexuality educator named um, Al Vernaccio who did this TED Talk in 2012 in which he rejects the baseball metaphor. And he says that instead, sexual encounters could be represented by this new metaphor of pizza. So when you share a pizza with others, you have to communicate with them, right? You have to figure out if the other person is hungry. You have to then figure out what kind of pizza you might want to get. Maybe someone has a food allergy or doesn't eat meat or just really hates black olives. Maybe someone really gets tickled at the thought of Canadian bacon. Those are great things to know so that you can have an awesome experience of pizza enjoyment. And then the next time you share a pizza, you communicate about whether you want the usual or something a little different. 
Or maybe one person's actually not hungry for pizza that day. So the goal is not one person winning a game. The goal is for everyone to feel satisfied. And you do that through communication. Isn't that a great metaphor? I love it. I do too. But that is not, that is not our culture's metaphor yet. And this whole baseball sexuality stuff, it is messed up. Facebook this week has been just this cacophony of cis men expressing how shocked they are that so many of their female friends have posted this Me Too, right? For those blessed folks in the room who are not on Facebook, women have been posting these words Me Too to social media to indicate um, in the last few weeks that they have experienced sexual harassment or assault in their life. And a lot of women have been posting this. And a lot of men have been very shocked. I think I've seen about zero of my female identified or femme friends expressing shock at this. We wade through the violent patriarchy every day. We are, for the most part, not shocked. So now that everyone's kind of getting on the same page about all of this, what do we do about it? Well, since I have the microphone, one way to start is with every one of our relationships and with the way that we talk to our children of all genders about sexuality, to end the baseball game and start the pizza party, and to make communication sexy. And also, I must say, to stop gazing at victims and making survivors relive trauma to help men learn things. So men who to uh, benefit from patriarchy, I would say you need to read what you need to read and get caught up with what, well, more than half of us have known for a lifetime. So those are this morning's sex and gender tips from Reverend Vicki Flippin. You're welcome. <laughs> and what does this have to do with the Bible? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Wait for it. I've gone down this intimate relationship rabbit hole because this morning's story from the Hebrew Scriptures shows one of our favorite intimate Bible couples, Moses and God, doing the thing that I was just talking about is critical to a healthy relationship. They are communicating. And these two, boy, do they communicate. All they do is talk and talk and talk. Most of the book of Exodus is Moses and God yapping away, like that Before Sunrise trilogy. You know that? It's like that. This is the book of Exodus. At the burning bush, at Mount Sinai, in their special tent, they talk about everything from God's identity to Moses' fears to philosophies of parenting and discipline for the children of Israel to the tiny, minute details of interior design for the tabernacle. Seriously, there are like 10 chapters in this book of God micromanaging to Moses curtain colors and clergy fashion. These two communicate. And it's not all one-sided. Moses talks to God and God listens to Moses. 
In the chapter before today's story, the people make the golden calf, and they start worshiping this calf. You guys remember this story. And God's like, leave it to me, Moses. I will destroy them all with my consuming fire. And Moses is like, oh, Lord, simmer down now. Let me give you several reasoned arguments for why you should not do that. And God listens to Moses and uh, does not consume all the people with the blazing flames. Of course, then Moses goes on to kill a few thousand of the people himself, and God sends a plague, but at least they are communicating. At least they are both enjoying the pizza. So the next conversation, God says to Moses, well, I think it's time that you start taking the children toward that promised land we've always been talking about. I would go with you, but I am still so mad that if I get close to them, I will immediately consume them with my blazing, fiery rays. And that conversation brings us to today's reading. So this is Vicki's paraphrase of today's communication between Moses and the Lord. Moses is like, God, we need to talk. Remember when you told me to start taking the children out toward the promised land? And God's like, yeah. And Moses is like, but you aren't coming with us? And God's like, oh, right, that. And Moses is like, you know, God, when it's just you and me, you're always saying, Moses, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight, and you know I cannot resist words like that. But God, I just want you to not just love on me, but take these people as your people too. And God says, okay, I'll go with you. And it's like Moses doesn't hear God or doesn't believe it, and he just keeps arguing, well, if you're not going to come with us, we shouldn't be going anywhere. And God says, Moses, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Remember, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. And then Moses is feeling a little closer to God. And he's kind of wanting more in their relationship. And he says to God, show me your glory. And God's like, I will show you my goodness. I will show you my name. And I will show you my grace. And I will show you my mercy. But I won't show you my face because then you would die. And then in these very intimate and embodied moments, God physically places Moses in the cleft of a rock. And God puts the divine hand over Moses while God's glory passes over the rock. And after God's glory has passed over, God moves that divine hand so that Moses can see God's back. 
it is really this beautiful scene of this give and take, a caring and embodied God revealing an intimate part of God's self to a partner for no other purpose than just building trust within that relationship. Now, I don't understand why God had to do the whole clefted rock hand shield thing instead of just telling Moses to close his eyes and then God like turns around. But I am not eating their pizza, so I don't really have a say. This is their pizza. So in the Queer Bible Commentary, Rabbi Rebecca Alpert does talk about this relationship between God and Moses as being like a homoerotic long-term marriage. Assuming God as male, Moses, of course, would be bisexual, she says, because he's also married to the female Zipporah. Anyone new here? (laughs) This is not what we do every week. But for some to think about this significant biblical relationship in this way is significant and it is important and it is affirming of same-sex relationships and I love it. And just in case thinking of Moses and God being a gay old married couple seems for some reason strange to you, and I don't know why it would, um, the way that they relate And this general principle of communication and this constant renegotiation of our relationships and our intimacy is something that can be applied to every single relationship in our lives. Our relationships with our long-term friends, our relationship with our parents sometimes needs to be renegotiated, our relationships with our siblings as we grow up, constant renegotiation, constant communications. These relationships evolve and they change over time and they will change in healthy ways through lots of not always sexy or easy communication. Things change. We change. One day you might want pepperoni. The next you might not even be hungry. One day you might show up to the relationship by igniting a fire-resistant bush. The next day, maybe you show up by showing your backside on the other side of a rock. Communication, though, is key. And the same goes for our best relationships with institutions. Next week, some people are going to be joining this church. Yay! Yes! And next week, we will all also be invited to assess what kind of time and money we want to give to this church in the upcoming year. So next week, we will all be thinking about and renegotiating our relationship with this institution. And I hope that you won't think about it like you make a decision to commit to something and then you move on with your life. I hope you will think of it as We're all sharing a pizza together. You have input and you have investment in all that we do here. Maybe you'll provide the pepperonis. Or when you think we actually need more cheese, you'll get more cheese for the work too. And we'll all enjoy a slice and then we'll reassess for the next pizza that we make. I don't need to go all in with this metaphor, I don't think. Uh, But the idea is that 
The institution of this church isn't just a frozen thing that you either subscribe to or you don't. We're working all together through our communication and our relationship to make the most delicious Kingdom of Heaven flavored pizza this side of Central Park. The same thing goes with our relationship with our country, with our nation. You know, on Friday, I was with this group of clergy colleagues, and one of them said that at their church, they were about to have a series of celebrations of our democracy. Because as the pastor said, through our democracy, we have been able to actually prevent a lot of really bad things from happening recently. And I thought, not all the bad things, but yeah, a number of bad things haven't happened because people spoke up and showed up, because courts spoke up, because people realized that the nation isn't just an institution that we are citizens of or we are not citizens of, but this is a dialogue, a pizza-making process. We can communicate and we can renegotiate at every turn. Some days we will stand with our flag lapel pins and some days we will kneel in protest. But we communicate with the institution of our nation. Now Cassie already shared with me that she likes to host pizza-making parties and I've made all of that very awkward now. I'm sorry about that. That was not my intention. <laughs> but I do want to make sure that you leave here today knowing that whatever relationships that you have with individuals, with your family, with institutions, or with the divine, what you want and what you need and what you have allergies and aversions to matter. And the same is true for everyone else. And the more value we give to everyone's input, the better our pizzas will taste, and the more faithful we will be to the spiritual traditions of our ancestors that include such back-and-forth sacred and sexy communication. Glory be to God. Amen. <laughs>